At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Well, it's great to be with all of you here this morning and online. Again, my name is Stephen Zarelli, one of the pastors here at Woodside, and so thankful to be bringing the Word of God to you today from this incredible book in this new series. March 10th, 2020 is a date we would all like to wipe from our memories. Uh, that was the official start of the COVID-19 pandemic in Michigan. Restrictions were lifted just over a month ago, June 22nd of this year. There were 469 days in between. How many of those days felt like it was a repeat, an exact repeat of the day before? That's how it felt in my house. It felt like time passed differently. It was hard to know the difference between weekend and weekday. All the hours and days and weeks and months ran together, and in truth, they messed with our heads. This phenomenon was so widespread that it has been studied and written about in medical journals and psychological journals, and given a title even, Corona Time. Time slowed down, and time sped up all at the same time. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, described time as the measure of change. In other words, we know time has passed when things shift, when things take on a new shape. Time has no meaning without movement. The point is that we need movement in order to find meaning. That is true not only with time, but with all of life itself. It's like when Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, relived the same day, February 2nd, over and over and over for years in the movie Groundhog Day. After trying to find meaning and satisfaction in every hedonistic pleasure and fleshly pursuit he could imagine, and realizing none of it ever brought contentment, he ended up asking two drunk men in a bowling alley the question, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was the same and nothing you did really mattered. One of the men stared into his beer mug and said, yep, that about sums it up for me. That about sums it up for a lot of people, I think. Life is a lot more like Groundhog Day than we would like to admit. There is a monotonous drudgery to life that is inescapable. We can't get outside of it. So what do we do? What did you do? Think back, what did you do to break up the monotony and find purpose and find meaning, find movement during corona time? Some people look to pleasure. Some to whatever substances would dull the pain. Some turn to house projects. Some turned into homeschoolers. Some turned into money makers. Most of us turned into money spenders. Some turned to family relationships. Some even turned to forbidden relationships. Some toned their bodies. Some became foodies and let their bodies go. Far too many, far too many became news junkies. 
consumed with gorging themselves on the never-ending news cycles for the latest political theater, getting their daily cortisol buzz before noon and becoming insomniacs to pass the time. Some even took to religion and to deepening their faith. But everybody was looking to give their life some sense of meaning, some sense of purpose, some sense of transcendence. If you have your Bible, please, this morning, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with all these thoughts in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The Hebrew word is koheleth. It's the root for the New Testament word for the church. So we, Ecclesiastes, if you take off the ending, ecclesia, it means assembly, translated as the church in the New Testament. You can translate it as the speaker in the assembly. It was an official title given to a person, or as we'll see here, as the preacher. And the preacher is a sage whose whole purpose is to expose, this is the purpose of this book, is to expose the insanity of abandoning the Christian worldview, Christian theism, and embracing the worldview of secularism. We're going to be talking about a lot of isms during this series, but underneath all of them, in contrast to Christian theism, is secularism. So we want to talk about that for several minutes here this morning. Secularism is the rejection of any spiritual or religious realities. And if you haven't noticed, over time, I'm sure you have, I certainly have, the world has, secularism is the most advertised and promoted worldview in our culture today, bar none. Secularism says there is no God, but claims you can still find your purpose Secularism says that your purpose is self-fulfillment, self-actualization through self-belief. You define your own meaning. And as you do, just make sure not to impose your truth on anyone else's. Because the greatest sin of secularism is not allowing somebody else to fulfill their own perceived destiny. It's unforgivable to say things like, you can't be that, you can't do that, you aren't that. Mark Sayers is the pastor of Red Church in Australia. He's like a Yoda of understanding Western cultures. I've been listening to him for the last several years reading some of his books, and he talks about how our culture loves to advance some of the ideas of the Christian story, but minus the lordship of Christ. He says that secularism promotes the kingdom without the king. It's the kingdom, the promise of the kingdom, but without the king. Secularism says in the American story, you can find redemption, you can find forgiveness, you can find purpose, you can achieve personal fulfillment, you can be satisfied, you can find your truth, you can experience pleasure and fame and significance, and you don't need God, any God, especially the Christian God of the Bible for any of it. You can get it all. You don't need that. Faith Cancel it. Its history is too marked by evil. Family, redefine it. Its history is oppressive. And in his book, Reappearing Church, Sayer says, the whole of contemporary Western culture, from the structure of our malls and cities 
to the very fabric of the internet and social media platforms are ideologies that shape us towards a vision not rooted in the eternal, but in the unlimited freedom and pleasure of the individual. Radical individualism. We're chasing the same answers in the same wrong places as the preacher did thousands of years ago. The truth is nothing has changed. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me how little has changed. That the human condition is still after the same things and still searching them in all the wrong places. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe that's where you join us today. Looking for all of this significance, looking for meaning, looking for intimacy, looking for love, looking for friendship, looking for purpose, looking for transcendence, but you've been doing it all perhaps, maybe not in thought, but in deed and in lifestyle apart from God. There is no freedom apart from God. There is no individuality apart from the creator. The creator is the one who gives us our uniqueness in the Christian story. So the age-old search for meaning of life, it presses on. As C.S. Lewis said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Over the next six weeks, we'll walk through the first two chapters and then Skip to the end of this book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where Solomon says it is the end of the matter. Here's our title for the series, Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth, capital T, Truth, Absolute Truth, the concept that our culture and our world doesn't really like, it's kind of fallen out of favor. Absolute, big T, Truth, in a world full of truths. Which one of those truths has been influencing you and us? God wants to expose the illusions of secularism and help us hold fast to a better answer. And he will give us an answer. He will give us meaning in the midst of all the madness. So today, what we'll do is we'll look at the first 11 verses and answer the question. Here's the first ism. We're going to answer the question of naturalism. Why does nature repeat itself? This has so much relevancy to every single one of our lives, particularly at this time in our history. Why does life seem to cycle round and round? Does it it even have a direction? Does it have a purpose? Or does everything just follow the rules and randomness of the natural world? Well, here's how he starts. Verse 1, the words of the preacher, Koheleth, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, there are all kinds of arguments for and against King Solomon being the author. I tend to think he is. The data seems to line up most with him. Whether it's him or not, his life is described in the text almost verbatim. So let's think about his story for a minute. Remember that God came to Solomon, the son of David, the son of King David, in a dream and basically said, ask me whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. Now the Bible is an incredible story and like any good story, it uses all kinds of literary devices to communicate its message. In this case, we know God is not a supernatural genie in a bottle. You've heard that I'm sure many times. 
We know that he knows our words. He is sovereign. He knows them before we speak them. He knows our thoughts before we even have them sorted. So he knows the disposition of Solomon's heart and that Solomon's will in this moment of his life is aligned to the will of God. So Solomon asked God for wisdom since he was young and an inexperienced king, and God gives it to him. And people from all over the world flock to hear his wisdom. There is no TikTok. There is no Instagram. There is no social media. There's no YouTube for him to get his message out. And yet people came from all over the place to build this following to say, let me hear you. Let me listen to what it is that you have to say. And we have so much of it written down for us in Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and maybe even here in Ecclesiastes. But all the wisdom in the world, if you know his story, all of that wisdom, all of that knowledge, more so than any human being other than Jesus Christ in history, was no match against the many temptations of secularism. What are those temptations? Things like hedonism, materialism, individualism. He traded in the wisdom of God and he became an idolatrous fool. Just a fool. And so many have done the same. The temple, maybe just a couple examples. The temple of God, if you read through the Old Testament, then you'll come to learn that the temple of God under Solomon, it took him seven years to build. That's a long time. That's a big investment. But do you know how long it took him to build his own palace? 13 years. He married 700 women and made 300 more his concubines, most of them political agreements. He fed every appetite he had. He denied himself nothing, nothing, whatever he wanted, whatever he saw, whatever he desired, he took. If it makes you happy, God must desire you to have it. If it makes you feel fulfilled, that must be from God. If it's something that will make you feel better about yourself, better about life, give you a sense of meaning, pursue it, chase it. At all costs, it's worth it. Or so says the world. And what did all that intellect then gain him? What did all that pleasure bring? What did all those riches do for his soul? Was he satisfied? Did it bring contentment? Did it give life meaning and purpose? Look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, it's vanity. Vanity. It's vanity. Turn to him right in the eyes and say, it's vanity. It's vanity. His mad quest for power and pleasure and purpose apart from God ended up destroying his kingdom. In fact, the kingdom split in two in the reign of his son. It didn't ruin God's kingdom. It, it, it didn't touch that kingdom, that kingdom will have no end. That kingdom is everlasting. That kingdom is indestructible. But it did ruin his kingdom. It all came uh, just completely crashing down. Now the author, the preacher here, gives the main point of the book when he says that everything in human existence, apart from what is done with the Lord and for the Lord, is, the Hebrew words here, hevel, of hevels. 
Hevel of Hevels is what's called a superlative. For example, we read about the Holy of Holies. It's the same kind of idea, Holy of Holies, Vanity of Vanities. Well, Holy of Holies means the holiest place on the planet, or the Song of Songs, written by Solomon, the greatest song written by Solomon. So, Hevel of Hevels means as meaningless as utterly possible. There's nothing more meaningless. It's, it's nothing. The preacher uses this word 38 times in 12 chapters. It means a wisp of vapor, a puff, just a of wind. One breath, nothing you can get your hands on. The nearest thing to zero. He had the label of faith. Solomon had the label of faith, but he lived without it. So many people look like Christians, but they live like secularists. They claim Christianity, but they live as secularists. And he eventually realizes it was utterly meaningless. Secularism doesn't deliver on its promises. Contentment, he didn't find it. Fulfillment, he's still looking for it. Satisfaction, nothing lasted. Meaning, he came up empty there too. Everything, he says, is utterly meaningless. Now what does he mean? The whole thing? Does, does this mean godliness is meaningless? Does this mean God himself is meaningless? He's not in a hurry, actually, to give us an answer. He doesn't answer the question. You read through this book, you read through Ecclesiastes, it's so beautiful because it's kind of the same thing just over and over. It gets after the emptiness of what he's trying to prove. He'll explore path after path to find an answer. He'll ask question after question before he finally gives us the truth. And he does all of this because what he's wanting to do is he's wanting us to see that every other path, every other ism, every other way is a dead end. So he takes all of them to their conclusion. Then he'll offer the only path that is left, the only solution that makes any sense, true wisdom. So he begins, verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Here's where he starts. Why does life, nature, seem to repeat itself? Under the sun, it's another phrase that's so important for us as we start this series. It's used almost 30 times in the book. Whenever he says under the sun, it means he is looking at life apart from God. Life under the sun is life apart from God. He is talking about life from a secular perspective. He's saying if this world is all there is, that's naturalism then what's the point of our existence if none of our work brings us any net gain? If there's no advantage, if there's no profit, then what's the point? See, the thing is, when you actively deny God, which many do in our culture, it's a fairy tale. It's a falsity. It's just a way, it's just the way the human mind has tried to sort through the issue of mourning and loss. It's just a psychological reaction to chemicals that are moving within us. That, that's all religion is. That's, that's all faith is. If that's what we're thinking, then this is the view of naturalism. 
Well, then what's the point? What's the advantage, the sustaining of our species? So some people deny God altogether, but many more people, rather than denying God, they don't simply deny God, they they do something more subtle. They passively ignore God. Yeah, 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 there there is a God, and I do think all of this came from somewhere, and I I do think there's intelligent design, and I I do think there is purpose, and I do think there is such a thing as eternity and hope, but uh, while that's all kind of going on, it's almost like a it's almost some kind of weird Christian agnosticism where it's like, he's kind of out there, but I'm going to kind of ignore him. It's behind the scenes. He's not all that active. He's not all that meaningful. He's only maybe called upon at a few times in life. Otherwise, I'm just going to ignore him. And when you deny God or ignore God, all you are left with is time plus chance plus matter. And what is it? It's vanity. Meaningless. It's here, it's gone. And naturalism fits nicely under the broader umbrella of secularism. Now, Jesus basically asked the same question in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And the answer is obvious to us. He's assuming we'll understand it. He says, Nothing. Nothing. So go ahead and chase the toys. Buy the toys, collect the toys, sell the toys, keep the toys, store the toys, play with the toys, share the toys. But the preacher says, in the end, you can't take the toys. In the world system, you get promised everything. You get promised everything, but you end up with nothing, no thing. You get promised everything, you get no thing. You're just grasping at stuff, but it doesn't actually deliver on what it's saying it's going to give you. That's every television commercial that you watch. Go ahead and go buy it. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a new car, in my case, used car, turned in after 30 or 40,000 miles, but new to me. And within the first week, I'll have like the stone hit the windshield. I'll have like some kind of scrape on the front. I mean, it's amazing how quickly things decompose. How quickly that new smell is gone. Just fleeting. Just a passing vapor. Here a second, gone the next. If life is all there is, and all there is to live for, then what's the permanent value of your life? That's what he's asking. Maybe you'd answer him, well, I'm here to make the world a better place. I'm here to leave something for others. That's where my life will find meaning. Well, the preacher expected that answer. So he goes on on this rant about the endless cycle of nature, basically to say you think you're leaving something, you're actually not leaving anything at all. And that's what he talks about from verses 4 through 11. Look there with me. He says, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea. 
but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been will be, is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been, it it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. He gives three examples from nature and three examples where our experience as human beings mirrors nature. In every case, everything changes, but nothing changes. Generations go, new ones come. The sun goes down. Then it comes up again. The wind goes east. Then it circles around again from the west. The streams empty into the oceans, but then the oceans empty into the streams. When we say, I've never seen anything like it, we should know that somebody else said the same thing countless times before. Nature repeats itself. It's like running on a treadmill that never stops, pauseless, breathless, pointless. It's like a hamster in a wheel. It's running, but it's not going anywhere. This is life under the sun. This is life from a secular perspective. I've heard it said, yes, we put a man on the moon, but there was nothing for him to do there except stare back at the earth. Are you on the treadmill? Are you running but not really moving? Maybe you're toiling, you're laboring, you are striving for intimacy. Because it feels like so long since you've experienced it, but you're doing it apart from God's way. You have the Christian label, but you've embraced the secular lifestyle. You'll think you found it, and then it will slip right through your fingers, and all you'll be left with is the feeling of isolation instead of intimacy. Maybe you're looking for pleasure apart from God's way. You have the Christian label, but you've embraced a secular lifestyle. You think you found it, and then it'll slip through your fingers, and that pleasure that you thought you'd grasped will turn into pain. Maybe you're hustling for popularity, for position, for pomp, for power, for possessions. You have the Christian label. You're here this morning. You're watching online. You have the Christian label, but you have the secular lifestyle. You'll think you found it, and then it will slip through your fingers and turn into emotional and relational poverty. When you don't deal with what's what's going on underneath of the surface, the neighbor's pool, it's always going to look bigger than yours. It's always going to look bigger. It doesn't matter how big yours gets. It will always look bigger. That's life under the sun. This is what happens when the creation forgets the creator. Our view of life begins to change, and here's the turn. And every week we'll share that turn with you, even though he saves his answer for the end. We're going to give you a weekly sense of hope <laughs> and a weekly dose of truth. And so we'll turn here. Our view of life begins to change when we recognize who we are and who God is. We are the created. God is the creator. 
Now, when we live under the sun, here's the point. When we live under the sun, knowing that we also live under heaven, then we will find that nature does, not, it does indeed have movement. Life does have purpose. God has a plan for the world. In other words, history is going somewhere. It is moving. There is real change. God has a plan for the world. That is the answer to naturalism. God has a plan. It's not purposeless. It's not meaningless. There is a plan. Christianity looks at the natural world from a completely different perspective. The preacher talked about creation here without talking about God. He's exposing the lie. That's his point. We find this throughout the story of Scripture. So let's just go to a few places. Genesis 1, all the way back to the beginning. Just think about the Christian story. Let me read just the first five verses. In the beginning, what's the next word? God, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. It's a different story. Or listen to Psalm 104 verse 3 starting there. The Lord, Yahweh, God, lays the beams of his chambers on the waters he, God, makes the clouds his chariot. He, God, rides on the wings of the wind. God makes his messengers winds. God ministers a flaming fire. God set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. God covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, at God's rebuke, they fled. And at the sound of your thunder, God's thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank to the place that God appointed for them. God set a boundary that they, might, they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. God make, made springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. God is creator. God sustains the earth. God manages the earth. God sustains you. There's progression because he has purpose. There is movement because he has a mission. The Christian story says that God purposefully created. Then humanity, Adam and Eve, chose to try to live in the kingdom apart from the king. And they fell into rebellion. And from Genesis 3 onward, we get the sense that Groundhog's Day is playing out. God pursues, humanity fails. God pursues, humanity fails. God pursues, humanity fails. Over and over and over again. Will things ever change? Is there any meaning to this? But then there is this radical new event in redemptive history when God, the creator, came to his creation. And all of a sudden we could say in the life of Jesus, look, something truly new has come. 
Something has come. There's something new under the sun, the son of God, God in flesh. And Jesus says to the Jews, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. You live under the sun. I am not of this world. And Jesus gives a new word, and he offers a new birth, a new way, a better life, a better answer, real life through faith that doesn't just impact this life, but the one to come. He lived for that new birth. He died for that new birth to bring a new covenant, a new deal, a new promise through his blood. That for whoever might believe in the blood of Jesus Christ would actually experience something new. They'd get off the hamster wheel. Everybody else just round around they go. And they still do. And they still are. Except for Jesus, there's a new way. When you live under heaven, there are new events, new realities, and a new hope. Because God has a plan for the world in Christ, that means God has a plan for you in Christ. God wants to do, let me just share this with you this morning. This is one of the primary things I felt like God was saying, this is for my people today. God wants to do something new in you. You are not done yet. He has a purpose for your life. It's not over yet. You're still breathing. You're still here. He has plans. It's not to stand still. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My challenge this morning is get off the treadmill. Get off the hamster wheel. It's not Groundhog's Day anymore. February 2nd, it's over. It's time for a new thing. It's time for a new day. It's time for you to believe that everything you've been through in this last whatever number of days has been, it's for a purpose. It's not meaningless. That it's time for a change. It's time for transformation. It's time for your faith to take a hold of you in a fresh way, for confession to wash over you, for you to say that what you've been doing is meaningless, for you to let God turn the page, for you to follow God's plans instead of your own, for you to see that God is moving in you and through you and around you because that's exactly what he promised he would do for you in Christ. I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago as I closed. I was on vacation in Colorado, and we were mountain biking for the first time down a mountain. Probably not the best place to start. And so it was my daughter and my son and myself, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go out in front, guys. Just follow me. Follow me. I'm going to set the pace. I'm going to show you how to do the turns. When the bank comes up, let me show you how to do it. Let me show you where to go. Let me show you when to slow down. Let me show you when to speed up. Just, just follow what I'm doing. My daughter, Leah, is my oldest firstborn. I asked permission, by the way, if I could share the story. Firstborn, type A, she's a rule follower. She follows the rules. She did exactly as I was doing. My son, Josiah. Well... My son Josiah, he's the second born. And he's the one who comes to the mountain biking. He's like, you know, I've done this. I've done this at Bloomer Park. I've done this at Stony Creek. I, I will show you how it's done. 
I will show you how you're supposed to go down this trail. Like, and I'm trying to say, dude, the mountains in Colorado are a little different than Bloomer Park. There's a little bit of an elevation distinction between these places. And so I start down the mountain. It was the second turn. We had barely gone like 100 feet down. We, we have like 1,500 to probably go. I don't even know. We're, we're barely maybe 50 feet down. Who knows? The second turn, a little embankment like this, and I go slow. I said, follow me, follow me, follow me. Do it this speed. I go around. I make the turn. I, I look behind me, and all I hear is, ah. And there went his bike flying right over the burn. I ran up the hill scared to death for what I'd see. He was about 15 or 20 yards into the forest. And God must have a plan for the boy because somehow his tree was like hung up in a pine tree. He was upside down. His head was down. His feet were up. But somehow he'd missed every tree between that dirt embankment and where he landed. He got up. He's got scrapes and scratches by God's grace, no broken bones. He had a red eye. Obviously, he scratched his eye somehow. <clears throat> he didn't want to get back on the bike. He just said, let me walk down. There was a thunderstorm that was rolling in. We could hear it, so we can't walk. You got to get back on the bike. You got to finish the trail. You got to finish this journey. And from that point on, uh, I was just shouting all the commands, slow down, take it slow, hit your brakes, speed up, you can do this turn, great job, you made the turn, great job, you made that jump, you, you got this, you got this, we got all the way to the bottom. And his sister went on, he dropped his bike and he started shaking, and he just wept. He was just so filled with fear. He was so scared about what he had to go through. And I feel like that's this whole story this morning. That Jesus is saying to you, follow me. I'll tell you how to do it. I showed you how to do it. I showed you how to make the turn. I'll tell you when to speed up. I'll tell you when to slow down. Just listen to my voice, not all the others. Certainly not the ones in your head. And some of you, you've flown off that path. And you're upside down in the trees. And you need to know you have a Savior who's saying, stand up. Stand up. Get back on your bike. And he'll lead you down. And you might make it to the end, and you might just have nothing left but tears. And he'll embrace you and say, you made it. That's life under heaven. That's the only life worth living. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the truth of who you are and the truth of your way that every other mindset, every other way is vanity. It is utterly meaningless. It's a vapor. We keep thinking we're going to get something that we desire, and yet there's nothing there. And it's left us with scrapes and scars and thinking maybe we're not going to make it. 
And yet you sent your son Jesus, who showed us the way, who is saying, follow me. Listen to my voice. He's offering that to every single one of the men and women here today, watching online today. He's saying, you can get back on the bike. You can get off that treadmill. There's more meaning for you. There's purpose for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is redemption for you. And all of it is found in me. So, Father, I pray that if there be any here today who have not received the way of Jesus in faith, that they would even now in their heart communicate to you, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for following my own way. I choose to follow you. I give you my life. I submit it to you because it's the only life that actually will have meaning. Do something new in me today. Start something new in me today. And Father, for every single follower who has chosen faith and yet still flown off the path, I pray they would receive your redemption, receive the truth of their sanctification, that they would plead with you once again for forgiveness, Father, knowing that they are already your child, that all things have already been forgiven through the blood of Jesus, but then you give them the courage to get back on the bike again, to live for you, to listen to you. Give them the peace and assurance and contentment that is only found in you. We'll exalt you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.